I just don't know that like, you know, rolling over to the system is going to help anyone because there's going to be people after me who were grew up really poor and only have exposure through social media. And like, you know, I'm not saying like I can change the world or anything, but I think sometimes like the best thing you can do is kind of just like stay where you're at, stay true to what you're doing. If you're not hurting anyone, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I just refuse to be bullied out of something that like works fine. And like, there's nothing wrong with being on social media. I don't know. (laughs) You're listening to Art and Magic, and I'm your host, Devin Walls. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. I love a good interview. I love when I talk to someone and I walk away and I think they're so cool. I'm so glad that they're in the same community that I'm in and that they are a positive presence in that community. It just makes me more excited to be an artist and like be one of them, if that makes sense. And that's exactly how I felt after this conversation with Sari Shriek. You might know her as Not Sari Art on Instagram. She paints the big, beautiful disco balls and the nostalgic still lifes. Her work is absolutely gorgeous, and I can tell you that it's even more gorgeous in person. Her and I are actually currently in a group show together at Brea Gallery, and I had the pleasure of meeting her at the opening back in July. Um, We only had a brief second to connect, so this interview was actually a really nice opportunity for me to get to know her a little better and connect a little bit more, and she shared some really insightful things in this conversation that I know you guys are going to appreciate. You know, she shared with us her relationship to color and kitsch and tacky core and all these things we see in her work that are maybe going up against some some highbrow opinions about what art should be. And we get a chance to talk about that and what some of that art world resistance might be about. She shares the role that storytelling and relationships and making connections has played in her art and in her career. Um, But, you know, a big part of this conversation, not surprisingly, if you follow her, is around social media. You know, I, like most working artists these days, have had a pretty up-and-down relationship to social media, specifically Instagram and now TikTok. It's almost been like a toxic relationship for me. You know, I don't know if you can relate to that, but just in the polarization of this is worthless, this is making me feel horrible, this is broken, this isn't working. And then on the other side of that, like I'm going to go full throttle and make it work for me and be with the modern times and try really hard. And I have to say, just personally for me, I find that pendulum swinging in an interesting way because I felt like I had really resigned myself to the new ways of the Instagram algorithm. And then I got on TikTok and I saw a lot of opportunity for growth and that seemed to be working well for me. And I think that lightheartedness and ability to just be a little more playful with content on a platform where originally I didn't know anybody, so it didn't matter, has translated back over to Instagram. And so I find myself in this kind of like renaissance with social media where I feel scarred from my experiences. I'm very familiar with the ways that it's challenging on my mental health and that's still present. And yet I'm wanting to be on a more optimistic side of it. Not because I think these platforms care about us or any of the cons have really gone away, but just for myself. You know, if I'm choosing to be on there I want to do it in the way that's most beneficial for me, my art, and honestly, my business. 
At the same time, with this kind of reinvigoration, I'm finding it hard to not be on it all the time, to not feel like I have to turn everything into content, to not feel pressured to produce so much, which is such a conflict for artists and capitalism and social media, the grand triangle here. So I'm sharing this, A, just to make you feel less alone, maybe if you can relate to the struggle at all. And also to give you a little bit of context for where I'm coming from in this interview and why I was so excited to talk to Sari about this. You know, in watching her from afar, we can see that she has great reach and really engaging, wonderful content. Like, it's not surprising why she's cultivated the audience that she has. So coming from her, I wanted to know, like, what her relationship to all of this was. And she really blew me away with her answers that if you're somebody who struggles with social media but really does want to use it for the advantages that it offers to artists, you're really going to appreciate this conversation. So, okay, before we go any further, announcements as always. If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is on Patreon, and right now is a really good time to be on Patreon. There's a library of bonus episodes on there that are exclusive and you can only get if you're a patron. And for a while, I was just giving you access to that library, but I just added a new one last week, and it's an extension of the conversation on how to write about your work. You know, patrons also get early access to all of the things, and sometimes that's not as relevant because I don't put out a lot of things because it's a creating season or a quiet season, but we're about to go into a season where there's going to be a lot of sales, studies, new releases, all that jazz. So if you're somebody who's interested in making sure you have access to that work. Patreon's the place to be. And on that note, my new prints are dropping on Thursday. They've been such a long time coming. I gave a little bit more of a story about that in the intro of last week's episode. But anyway, Patreons actually have access today, Wednesday, in real time. And everybody else will get access tomorrow, Thursday, in real time. These are actually prints of my two favorite pieces that are in the group show with Sari that I was just referencing. So if you're unfamiliar with me and this is your first time here, go check them out. And last but not least, if you love this interview and or this whole show, please follow, share, and tag us over on Instagram. It really is the best way for us to get the word out and it just, it really helps. Please, please do that. Okay, so if you don't already know her, Sari Shriek is an oil and acrylic painter based out of Austin, Texas. Her colorful works cover many different subjects and techniques, including landscape, still life, portraits, disco balls, and even memes. Without further ado, I give you our conversation. So I thought we would start with just talking about your work. I'm wondering, I mean... I'm imagining a lot of people listening are familiar with you, but in case they're not, could you just tell us what you create and what the themes are in your work? And then uh, there's some really interesting stuff in there that I want to unpack, but maybe you could just give us a little introduction. Yes, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, so I am a painter down in Austin, Texas, and my what I paint is super varied. I would say like painting might be the only thread that actually holds all my bodies of work together. <laughs> um, but I, I guess I mostly do like a painterly realism, but I do landscapes and portraits and a lot of still lifes. I've also done a couple series of like disco balls. So those are about as close to 
abstraction as I get. Um, and I play, I guess I play around with a little bit of mixed medium with my paint. So there's some glitter and holographic and iridescent, but um, you know, I feel like I just follow my curiosity. And so I hit a lot of similar themes, but I feel like there's not a super cohesive element other than it's just what I'm interested in as a 30 year old female person who loves color and sparkle. <laughs> Love it. Um, so the color and sparkle, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I know that you, uh, went to art school. Is that correct? Yes. I, I got a bachelor's, um, with, with fine art and graphic design. Yeah. Okay. And so I think I've seen you talk about, you know, how color isn't necessarily embraced at a certain level in a highbrow context. I think that's changing a little bit. Um, and I know you have some thoughts about using color in your work. So I'm wondering if there's things you learned that are kind of in contradiction to what you're choosing to do and just what your relationship is to embracing those things now. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a good setup. Yeah, I, um, contradictory is a good word. So I, I, um, you know, I started just kind of painting what I liked. I had a really good painting professor, I'll start there, who he never taught me like what I ended up finding out were kind of like the unwritten art world no-nos, especially if you want to be, you know, I'm air quoting here, but like taken seriously. Um, his approach was very like, you follow your curiosity as long as you can like, you know, back it up with hard work and research. And, you know, it, as long as you're willing to put in the work, like everything, the world is your oyster, everything's on limits. And so I, you know, that was kind of my approach. Well, I started posting on Instagram and as I sort of got, you know, I guess like a little bit into like my career, career part of things, I started sort of stumbling on these, I don't know how to explain it, but just, you know, rejection is kind of the white noise of being an artist. So like, there's nothing there that's too wild, but I started getting feedback that was like, oh, wow, you're using, you know, all those colors or like, I never thought to use, I thought you weren't supposed to use paint out of the tube or, you know, just these things where I started realizing that maybe there was like a set of rules <laughs> and maybe I was breaking them. Um, but I, I feel like the thing about art that's so cool is like, there really shouldn't be rules. Like it's kind of, it's not like being a neurosurgeon or like an industrial engineer where like there are rules because if you do something wrong, you could like hurt people. Like art feels like the most like important but yet low stakes thing you can participate in. So the fact that there's all these rules like really bothered me on like a deep level. And so I think it was like a positive reinforcement thing in that the more I feel like there was rules, the more I wanted to be contrary about it and the more I wanted to lean in. And luckily the rules, that I kind of stumbled into were about, you know, sparkle and glitter and certain low brow subject matter. And I already like those things. So I just, I feel like I've really run with it, but um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I ended up here. So on that note about color, what feels related are all these things I've also seen you mention and paint about related to kitsch and tacky core and even like referencing uh, advertisements. Do you think that that like goes hand in hand? Is that new for you? I'm curious if we could just talk about that as well, because I find all that very interesting. Yeah. Um, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I think so. I think it's all, you know, like I said, I, I, I realized that there was some resistance in using those elements that I think I was just naturally drawn to like bright colors and things and the more I sort of got pushback and I also got positive feedback too but I I sort of realized I was stepping out of like a pretty neutral zone with my art into the more color I use and the more iridescence that I use and the more you know commonly used visual language I use the kind of 
the more the feedback kind of changed, I think that has forced me a little bit into this like tacky core advertisement heavy, you know, quote, low route type art. Um, but yeah, I mean, for some background, I mean, I, I think, I think all that pushes me in a direction, but you know, it also ties back to just kind of who I am. So I grew up, um, you know, super duper low income. And so we didn't have, we had pretty much the furthest thing from what you would consider like a cultured childhood. Like I only left the country like this year. Um, and <laughs> I grew up on TV, like so much TV and advertisements and I love fashion magazines. And so like the visual language that I was exposed to was very, again, like what you would consider super duper low brow. And then I showed up in art school and I had an amazing professor who was really, you know, gracious with how he taught and everything and open and didn't teach us all these unwritten art rules. And so I'm out here thinking everything's fair game, loving bright colors. I mean, you don't grow up exposed to Lisa Frank and Fern Gully and The Simpsons and King of the Hill without that like affecting your art. And so kind of where I just was naturally, I realized there was some resistance to that. And of course, in the beginning, before you really find your voice, that can be really scary. But I've realized that that's kind of, as far as like going somewhere with your art and doing something, that's kind of a wonderful thing to have. Um, and I've really, I think, just dug into that and I enjoy playing with it. I, it's fun to be kind of contrary and subversive. And, um, you know, if you can do that with playing with glitter and, and sparkle, then I, I think how, how fun is that? So, yeah. Uh, man, so many things to say with all that. I mean, obviously I resonate as a child of the nineties. And I think that's, what's so interesting is so many of us grew up in that time and we have that draw to those things, but our personal story is so different, you know? So I love the way that you weave that in. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing is there's a lot of people who can sort of understand like where I'm coming from, you know, if that's, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, who knows, but I, it's interesting if nothing else that, you know, especially in like the nineties and two thousands, so much of our childhood, like so many of us had such similar visual imagery as children, that's kind of going in the other direction now with the internet and people niching down with what they watch. But I mean, for a brief period, period of time, we were all watching the same handful of commercials and the same few shows and, you know, the same Target and Walmart clothing, like, you know, even in our adolescence, like every, all of us were wearing like or at least wanted to wear the same like Abercrombie, almost like a uniform. And, you know, I think it's really special as an artist when you have a common visual language, um, you know, it may not be considered high, highbrow or, you know, super sophisticated, but the fact that you can, you know, if art, if at the core of art, it's communication, right? If, you know, we, I think we can all agree that like, that's, that's the bones of what art is you know, what better than having a common language to talk to your peers with? So I, I don't know. I think sometimes the art world can get kind of weird about like, if it's mass appeal or if it's mass culture, it's bad. And as someone who's trying to communicate and wouldn't mind talking to the masses and commiserating and sharing their experiences, I think it can be a real asset. Yeah. And you know what, you kind of answered what my next question was going to be, which is what do you, where do you think that that resistance comes from? You know, cause you said you kind of get these really polarizing responses, like the more people that love it, the more pushback you've also gotten. So I'm curious just if you've thought about this or investigated it, um, those people who are pushing back, like what is their, what is their story? Like, why are they kind of anti this thing? Oh 
man, I would never claim to exactly know, but I do think about it a lot. Um, yeah, I think there's a bunch of different angles. I certainly think like maybe one of the more obvious angles is that all of those things are incredibly feminine and, mm. you know, the art world, it's, it's weird because like, I think I've seen somewhere, don't quote me on this, that like most people who are artists are females, like it's overwhelmingly female and female identifying and, and non-binary than it is male nowadays. And, um, it, but, and yet there's still this really resistance to, uh, it's weird because it's not resistance to females being artists, but it's like, it's more of this resistance to females having this like really, I don't know, like this higher conversation or more cerebral input with art. Like, and I know other artists have said this way better and more poignantly than I'm going to ever be able to, but you know, there's like, it's okay that women can participate in art and be part of craft, but like the minute you want to take like a higher concept, but put glitter on it or make it Lisa Frank-esque, people seem to get really ruffled about that specifically. Um, and so I think obviously there's that layer. I also think the other thing, cause I'm always trying to give people who maybe you don't say the nicest thing, as much credit as possible. But I also think there's really this weird adherence to art rules. And I think it's because art is so open and yet it's so hard to do it successfully. And again, I'm using air quotes because there's no successful way to be an artist, but if you want to be an artist who can pay your bills and get kind of, you know, led in by the art establishment, it's really hard to do that, right? And so I think people get really hung up on rules and when you break them, I think it comes from a place of insecurity. It has to, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't get mad at the resistance. Again, it helps me find my purpose and like, yeah, sure. It might be keeping me out of like certain shows, but I'm also really lucky to have um, you know, an audience that I can tap into and I have collectors and I have a pretty wide reach. And so, you know, maybe, and maybe that's the result of me having some security that I can be more confident in that, but yeah, people get really hung up on rules. I don't know. Very weird. <laughs> yeah. I just like to ask the question because I, I have a lot of this in my work too. I also love glitter. I also love pink. I love all the things. And sometimes when I'm working with those things, I notice like a self-consciousness rise up in myself and like a doubt of myself, if I will be taken seriously, or is this to this or to that? And then I'm even like, wait, why do I feel that way? So I'm just always curious in like, what have I absorbed that maybe I don't even fully consciously understand about, about that. So I really liked your answer about femininity and yeah, people being protective of, of the rules and like, maybe it's their own insecurity or scarcity or wanting to secure their spot or something of that nature. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, the more I, as artists, a lot of our job is to sort of sit with tradition and rule and kind of flip it on its head. Again, I think that's why art is a place with no rules. You can't do that in every industry and in every field. And, you know, there has to be rules for a reason, but like our gift as artists is to run into those things and sort of pick them up in our hand and turn them over and say, how valid is this? Who does this rule support? Who does this rule hurt? And when I got to these rules around being a feminine presenting person in art, a lot of them are really stupid. <laughs> a lot of them are rooted in the fact that women are crafters and not thinkers. And, you know, even with like teaching, I've, I've noticed a lot of resistance with like, um, that like for a female teaching kind of pulls back from what you're doing. But if you're a man and you're teaching, it's more of like a masterclass quality and it can mm. really help you. And I just, I don't know, I think, you know, unfortunately I'm realizing the art world isn't as progressive as I think we would all hope it to be, but I, I mean, that's, I, that's the world at large, I suppose, but yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I understand that insecurity, but I think 
I think when you can't answer it or the answer is really dumb, it gives me the confidence to be like, no, I'm doing the right thing. It's cool. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So I, I feel this is a shift in topic, but there's something about it that's in a similar vein and, um, that's embracing social media content. And I see you as somebody who has really embraced content creation as a way to get your work out there. Um, I don't know if you've had that reflected to you. I'm thinking maybe you have. Um, and so I'm wondering if we can just talk about that. Like, were you always that way with, uh, putting out content, have you ever felt like you're going to be taken less seriously because you embrace content as a way of putting your work out there? Like I have a lot of questions here. So maybe we can kind of like back in however feels good to you. I, I love talking about this. Yeah. I, I, I love social media. I will say, I know there's ups and downs and I'm not saying it's a net positive or net good. Not that it matters what I think in this capacity, but I think at the end of the day, social media is probably as much good as it is bad for the world. But I, I think about it like whenever okay cut back to like 2015 I would I just graduated the year before from college with an art degree and I had a brand new little baby and I was home by myself in a new city that I had no friends in my husband had a job where he worked all the time and I was super super isolated and had I was going through like one of the worst depressions like really it was not a good time and I made myself start doing art every single day and the way I maintained accountability was through Instagram and again just for reference, 2015 Instagram was very much like take a picture of your food and put the Valencia filter on it. It was just not what it is today. Uh Um, (laughs) And it it started as an accountability tool, but I realized like there was community there. And I think a light went off, a light switch went off for for me because again, I went to school for art and, you know, I talked to my professor my senior year and we, he told us this horrible stat about how like less than 5% of people who graduate with a studio art degree are practicing in 10 years, something crazy like that. I hope it's different now. But um, I remember kind of feeling like, man, if you're not like pounding pavement as a single person in New York City or San Francisco or LA, like what are you supposed to do? Like geographically, this is where I am. Am I supposed to just give up? Like wait till I, like I just, it's, you know, I had worked so hard to, you know, get myself in a position where I could escape poverty. Like my whole life had been super singularly focused up till that point. And it just felt like, okay, I'm just going to roll over and take this reality that like, because I'm not in New York um, and have a baby, like I just can't, I can't be part of it. Like it just seemed really like depressing. And so social media was this little glimmer and I, you know, there are downsides to it, certainly, but if for me, it was always like, it is the way I'm an artist. Like truly, I do not think, certainly wouldn't be where I am now, but I don't think I'd be a working artist in any capacity, if not for social media. So as much as there's backlash, like social media in a lot of different ways has helped a whole bunch of people who maybe don't have access to a voice, to power. Um, you know, a lot of marginalized communities have access to a voice now because of social media. So I'm always going to push back when people like to say it, you know, it's a totally a bad thing and it's corrupted everything. And the art world's really bad about that. But um, yeah, I, 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 I've really leaned in and obviously I've had to have boundaries and obviously there's negative side effects and certainly I'm taken less seriously because of it, but I'm, I'm only an artist because of it. So I have to take the good with the bad. Yeah. I think that that's so, I think the same thing for myself. Like, I don't know if I would be a working artist without social media and that just kind of is what it is. It's made it more accessible to certain people. Like I don't have an art school background. It was a lot of my introduction into a lot of things that I've even been able to learn. Um, I'm curious cause I have a lot of students who kind of express this concern and you may have already answered it, but I'm wondering if there's more there, like 
do you ever have the self-consciousness creep up about being taken seriously? Like when you go to put something out, do you ever have um, like feelings of doubt about that? Do you ever question? And if so, like, how do you overcome that? What's your thought process? Or maybe you're just like, no, this has been it for me. I'm grateful for it. Like I'm sticking to it. No, I wish I was that confident. No, the thing about me is that I am deeply insecure, but I'm so insecure that I have to think, think through it and like manhandle my insecurities and like find my way to the other side of it. So I, you know, I, I, no, I, I know I'm taken less seriously. In fact, I know so because I've gotten feedback like, oh, like this is great, but like this is very like Instagram style. And I know that like, you know, I, I know that I had this style before Instagram. So it's, you know, it, there certainly are downsides to it, but at the end of the day, like I, I'm supposed to feel bad because I, my art has exposure. Like I'm like, why am I supposed to feel bad about this? Like, if it's the only way that I was able to, you know, there's, I'm not doing anything wrong. I always think of it like in a world where, you know, buying a tomato has like all these horrible consequences about where it's grown and all of our decisions we have to be really mindful of and the environment and like capitalism, like so much, so many decisions have negative things. Like why would I feel bad about something that like isn't a negative? It's just like not the traditional way of doing the art world. It just feels so silly to me to feel bad about that. And yes, like might it limit my career now, now that I'm here, could I like maybe try to abandon social media and like play the real game and unplug and go to New York and get an MFA, like certainly, but I just don't know that like, you know, rolling over to the system is going to help anyone because there's going to be people after me who were grew up really poor and only have exposure through social media. And like, you know, I'm not saying like I can change the world or anything, but I think sometimes like the best thing you can do, and again, maybe this is privilege talking, but it's kind of just like stay where you're at, stay true to what you're doing. If you're not hurting anyone, like, you know, it, I don't know. I don't know. I just refuse to be bullied out of something that like works fine. And like, there's nothing wrong with being on social media. I don't know. <laughs> no. And I think people need to hear that. Like I, there is nothing wrong with being on social media. Yes. Our own mental health and balance. And like, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but objectively, like it doesn't make you less of a real artist. And I think I really wanted to hear that from you because I know that you're somebody who has probably gotten this feedback just because of the size of your following, you know, um, like anybody who blows up and sells a lot of work on Instagram, I think is insusceptible to this kind of feedback. And I think it's preventing a lot of artists who could be putting their work out there and doing better with their work and having an accessibility point it's preventing them from like getting on there and really embracing a tool that could really help them. And so that's why I like hearing you say this like for them. Yes. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. And like to build off that, like one of my favorite, like mind techniques or I don't know, reframing tools. There we go. It's a better word for it. Like I came up with was I, you know, there's so many stories of artists who became famous after they died and like oh they were born in the wrong time and we know these tragic stories and they're like super duper common so I I remember one time I was thinking on a run I was what if Van Gogh like I can imagine Van Gogh and Theo sitting in a field you know looking up at the sky and they're having a hard time getting any traction for shows and his work's just too wild and the establishment has all the power and they're like what if we had these little handheld like books that like you could put like a you're painting on and like everyone can see it and okay it's smaller but it's like a really clear photo and maybe you can show a video of you painting it and then and then anyone from around the world who likes it could like let's say they like it and you could get that feedback like I know social media has issues and don't get me wrong again I know it does but you can't tell me that like 
a technology like that just is like, it's the worst thing ever. Like, I just don't, I mean, I value looking at art in person, but I just, I don't feel like to selling whole thing sh short is just, I don't know, really short-sighted. And like, yeah, to your point, it prevents a lot of people from having the accessibility to the art world. Yeah, absolutely. There's no way Van Gogh was going to be like, meh. <laughs> Pass, hard pass. Um, so, okay. On that note, I'm curious about the ways that we'll just talk about Instagram or, and, or TikTok in, in their current states, because the past is the past, yeah. uh, but I'm curious, like now the ways you're using it that really work for you. And I'm also curious how you balance that with your own art making practice. Cause that's what I really bump up against is like, I can find myself being like, all right, I'm embracing it reels. Let's do this. And then it's really hard for me to focus on my work or I just like go into a cave and I want to work on my work and then I have nothing to show for it. And then it's hard to get it out there. So do you have any answers to this slash what do you do? <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I have solid answers, but yeah, I, I do. I, so again, I, I try the, the reason I think I'm so able to come to social media with a positive outlook. Cause I really, I really, tr I think a lot of times people can read. I'm always shocked how much people can read your energy behind a post. I don't know how. I'm not that woo-woo in real life. I just don't know. But whenever you are happy and excited or like, interested and excited about something, that often reads through, you know, video, whatever you're doing, photo, whatever. Um, and so in order for me to maintain that excitement where I really am happy to be here and I'm really excited about it, I've had to have really, really, really strong boundaries. Again, I'm not naturally super confident and like resilient. I've had to really, 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 really work it like through therapy and all this. Stuff. Anyways, boundaries are the short answer. And you know, what those boundaries look like are, I don't have the app on my phone. I, um, I think the reason I'm able to have boundaries and still have so much traction is because I'm really prolific. So I want to put out that, um, you know, that I have the privilege to have the time to post. I, um, you know, I have a husband who supports me and helps with my children and I'm naturally very fast working and I, I enjoy being fast working. Um, that being said, within that, I, I also, you know, don't have the app on my phone. I, I have limits to what I create. And, you know, I just finished a painting that I didn't do the process and I got less views because I didn't have a video component to it, but I, I have to value my mental health. And I remember having this, like, Oh, if I have to record this. Like it's going to bum me out. And then I just, so I didn't record it. I just said, it's okay. Then take time off and you can record something later. And I think a lot of social media is there's so much infinite growth. Like there's so much you can do that it becomes really overwhelming because you should be doing everything if you can do everything. But I've had to be okay. Like as social media has had like another really big turn kind of Instagram is more like TikTok and TikTok is like TikTok. And, you know, it's a real shift in what I had done for a long time. And could I have maximized that? Sure. Like I learned algorithms pretty quickly, but it wasn't worth my mental health. And so I'm okay with slower growth or no growth or retraction. And that seems to be like something you can't do on social media. It's like, you know, heaven forbid you retract, but if, if it means your mental health and it means the difference between you showing up happy on social media and, or showing up and, and, and sacrificing your mental health, then I will, then I will grow slow or I will not grow at all. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like embracing it when you can. Um, but if you're truly not feeling it, just don't do it. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And just, and like, and I know it's easier said than done. I, I feel so flippant about it. like being like, be okay with not growing. But like, I mean, I'm trying to think like find other, like I've, I've had to really unplug from numbers. I, um, <laughs> I don't want to share too much, but in my personal life, I've struggled with an eating disorder. So I know what it's like to be really triggered by numbers. And so I do not look at my analytics and I do not look at my numbers. It stresses me out hardcore. And so, Mm. um, and I've had that rule for years. And so, you know, I, I've had to come up with other ways to mark like success for me. So that's connecting with people that's making in-person meetings with galleries. That's um, taking on projects that have like a philanthropic angle to it. That's, um, doing art that like is just so silly and ridiculous. Like I've really had to find milestones that have nothing to do with growth or algorithms or money or numbers. And I think, I think that's really important. And I I will say when you give up the numbers and when you give up the algorithm, I'd love to tell you that, and then you'll grow, but like, maybe you won't. And that's okay. Like, you know, our, our culture is so obsessed with like infinite growth and we can look at the environment and go, oh, that's not possible. But then when it comes to our own life and our own social media practices, we don't embrace that. And like, we are human living organisms too. And infinite growth doesn't work for us. And we have to be okay with that, especially as artists. We're like soft, little sensitive, delicate flowers. We have to be okay. And like retraction is fine and, you know, really prioritize your mental health. Yeah. And so that actually, kind of reminds me of something I heard you say in another interview, um, just talking about your own journey. And I think you said like, you know, things were happening for you before you had a big social media following, like it's not all dependent on your numbers. And I'm just thinking about, you know, these other milestones and, you know, something I think you're also very strong at is like, yes, the numbers, like you, you have like a great reach, but you also seem to form a really nice connection with your audience. Like, I think that you're also very engaging. So one feeds the other, but I'm guessing that the connection element is like also what leads to more sales. So I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I, I, yeah, I got into a gallery back when I had, I I stayed at 2000 followers on Instagram for like two years. It's great. I mean, it was great because like, um, it, a, it humbled me because I was making fantastic work and getting like 10 likes on it. And so I know that like, I learned early and I learned well that likes have no reflection on your work. I mean, maybe they can be like a tertiary indicator of something, but like truly they, they don't matter. Another thing that I've, I've really valued and cherished kind of through my whole social media is, yeah, this idea of relationships. So, you know, something that's really core to all of my strategies on all of my platforms and, you know, to some degree with my relationship with my collectors is this idea of like dance with the one who brung ya. I, you know, I don't know if that's a saying I'm from the Ozarks in Texas. So, but it's this idea that like, you kind of have to like Instagram is so much and TikTok are about like growth, growth, growth and new acquisitions. And that's great. I think like, like for me, I always try to strive and I don't always succeed at this. Actually, I rarely succeed, but I always strive for like a, you know, maybe one out of every 20 of my posts, maybe 30 reach beyond my group. But when I'm making work, whether that's art or content, if it's not for me, and usually it is for me first, but the next thing is it's for my, my crew, my collectors, my, you know, people who um, are really interested in my work, my, you know, it's, it's weird to have a name for them. Like followers feels kind of disingenuous, but like the people who kind of been there and are deeply interested, I try to always make media and content for them. And if, if that reaches outside of my group, that's great. But not only is that 
on one hand, liberating as like a mindset of like, you don't always have to be on for this like invisible crowd that like may or may not see your work and may or may not follow you. But when you kind of narrow down your viewpoint to just like the people who are already kind of hyping you up, it takes some stress off. And then on a sales front, which is kind of the silver lining, although it is what keeps you afloat. So again, I want to acknowledge that, but the silver lining is that when you form these relationships, you're much more likely to sell and especially sell more high-end work to people who you've curated this relationship for years. And it always sounds weird to talk about it in kind of sales atmosphere because like it really is truly just like relationships I have. Like I have collectors from many years ago and I've had people who we've chatted in DMs for years and then one day they'll buy something and their husband will buy something for them or, you know, things like that. But, but yeah, just staying really, I don't know, grounded and in touch with your, your people, I guess. Yeah. And one thing I really noticed, I don't know if you've always done this, but in a lot of your recent posts, you do like the storytelling, um, behind the process video. And I just absolutely love this because I think it, a makes your work even more accessible and it helps people form a connection to it. But it also, to me, like from the artist point of view shows like depth of practice. And, um, I'm wondering with that, if you have a writing practice that goes with your work or what that process looks like for um, like cultivating these stories behind the pieces or does one come before the other? Yeah. I am going to write that compliment for weeks. First of all, thank you. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I love that. I love it on so many levels. So on one hand, on the most superficial level, I started telling these stories because like making a painting of like a bunch of like effectively garbage um but it's like monochromatic and then putting out into the world feels very odd because people are going to be like why did you paint these things like I don't understand am I missing something and so on one level it's just me kind of explaining it a little bit and you know on the other hand I yeah I love telling stories in fact storytelling is really key to kind of I think um a lot of like the success I've had because it really isn't about like making the best art first of all that's not a thing that's not how art works there's not a best it's in all incredibly arbitrary you know but um but selling art is a lot of times about selling stories like people like people love pretty things that hang above their couch but like people are going to connect and buy something and be more willing to put up that price point because art is expensive. Um, when they feel like they're buying a piece of their own heart, like it lives in someone else. And like, not only is that like amazing and beautiful because like, um, it just shows how like interconnected we all are. And like, you know, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm about to get emotional here, but like, I just, it's, it's so important. And the storytelling is like the glue that binds it all together. And the storytelling is like how I get from one series to the next. And, you know, it's a big part of, you know, I, I, my whole practice. So yeah, I, I guess I'll just get back to being like, thank you for that compliment. And it absolutely is. I do like a weekly blog and it's very much on my vision board to write a book. So yes. Thank you. Yeah. That's amazing. I think, I mean, and it truly has that effect. Like I've always liked your work, but then when I started hearing these stories behind it, I just connected with it so much more. So it's, it's absolutely like accomplishing that. Okay. So last little thing on social media, uh, I hear from a lot of artists that I work with that they're afraid to post more on social media because they're afraid of their process or ideas being stolen. And it's always interesting to me because even as somebody who's had that happen a little bit, probably not to the extent that you have, I'm always like, man, I never even thought about that. Like I'm not like a scarce until it started happening and then it's kind of valid, but I'm not, I, I never felt that way. And so sometimes I struggle for like what advice to give them. So as somebody who has had some of their work copied, redone, turned into trends, 
I'm wondering the perspective you have on this and like what you would say to somebody. Yeah, no, I think, I think you said the heart of the answer when you said scarcity for sure. Um, so yeah, I, you know, again, I had an amazing college professor and, you know, he did a lot of great things. And one of them was sort of cover the base on like being unique as an artist. He sort of told us pretty early on, he was like, if your whole goal is to be unique and come up with something that no one else has come up with, like, um, you're gonna have a really hard career and that's going to be tough because, you know, all art is interconnected and, um, you know, likely something that you feel is unique. Someone has done 30 years earlier with a different medium or something. So, you know, that was, that was my mindset. And in fact, like this, you know, I've had a lot of my work goes viral on Pinterest and I think Pinterest is where people go to inspire ideas. And I think, you know, that's part of it, but, um, you know, I've had work where I'll make something and then another artist makes it very similar, but I've always thought of that as like, oh, cool, I'm in a community. Like, that means that I'm part of an ecosystem. And I was, you know, I got kind of questions like this for, for a long time, for years. And my answer was always just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm part of a community. I don't have scarcity mindset. In fact, I think the universe saw that I was, like, getting haughty about it. Like, oh, I'm just so abundant. Like, look at me. And then <laughs> I made a body of work that got... Um, like that tested that in me. <laughs> so it really humbled me. Um, so my disco balls, I started making, um, yeah, gosh, 2019. And, um, and I remember it felt like, I, I'm not usually like this in my practice. I really have to work for ideas. Like I have to, you know, they don't come out of the, the out of like thin air, but the disco balls were, I had these round canvases in my studio and I was in the backyard. And I remember we were dancing to disco because I do that with my son and we were, Anyways, the idea of painting a disco ball on a circle canvas popped into my head. And I remember being like, whoa, that, I wonder if I can do that. That would look so cool. And to the point where I sat down and Googled it, because I'm like, surely someone has done this. And I've had that before where I thought something was unique. And then I Googled it and it's like been done. I'm like, okay, obviously. But I, I did it and no one had done them on circle canvases. And most of the attempts at um, disco balls were hyper-realistic. And so I was like, whoa, this is my this is, this is gonna be great. And I painted it and it was so wonky, but it like, it got like 30,000 bites in like a day. And I was like, I found something and they sold out. And this was at a very transitional point in my career. Again, I think the universe is testing my scarcity because this became very abundant and helpful. And my husband lost his job in 20, the end of 2020 and we had a brand new baby, but the disco walls were keeping us afloat and it was amazing and just the best thing ever. Okay, so cut to about a year later. So I had them for about a year. And then I don't know if it was the Pinterest algorithm or again, the universe laughing at me for being so confident, but <laughs> they, um, they kind of went, they got, they went everywhere like overnight and, um, you know, and then I really had to, I don't know, I, I guess I'm getting to advice. That's where I'm going with this. So <laughs> I, it was frustrating. It was frustrating because it was so similar. It wasn't like another person's take on it. Cause again, it's a disco ball. Everyone can paint this. I mean, I don't, I don't own disco balls, but it was, a, it was very similar. And in a lot of cases, it was like my painting was the reference photo and it's, and it, um, and again, I think everything was fine, but then it affected my, um, uh, bottom line <laughs> mm. and, um, it's all good. Things are cool. But, um, but it was, I did have to start all of a sudden doing the work of like, okay, why does this bother you? What are you going to do about it? How much energy do you want to put into it? And I start, had to start asking myself those questions and it was really, really uncomfortable. I apparently had a ton of work to do in that arena, which is fun. Um, but I think, you know, there are legal things you can do. I did look into that and I do eventually want to make like a post about it because I've done a lot of research on it, but 
you know, if it's, if it's very similar, you, whenever you make a piece of art, you do have an automatic copyright to that intellectual property. So if somebody out there is copying you um, pretty exactly, um, you do have the right to tell them to stop. And if you do want to pursue legal action, you have that right. So that was something I learned. But then I had to decide, do I want to do that? And I, there's one thing about me is I really value my mental space. I value like the thing I think I love most about being an artist is that like I get to spend my day as if anything could become art and you know this kind of rose tinted like you know I get to make something new next week and this disco ball debacle was starting to cloud that for me <laughs> and I hated it so I you know I had to learn where to let go and like do I not want to share things should I wait and do a drop all at once and all of those ideas I think they're valid and they may work for some people but for me like I love showing up on social media I love sharing my process um, and I sort of just leaned into it and I made a YouTube tutorial on how to do it and I, I never was like limiting in it the whole time but I really started encouraging it and just being like this is a thing and the thing about the disco balls I think the why they were so widely copied is because they're super accessible like if you have a bright a brush like a certain square kind of brush um and a knack for colors which a lot of people do uh you can make a pretty cool looking little optical illusion disco ball so I sort of just had to lean into it and I think that was the most freeing thing I could do that and like a fair dose of like therapy and what it means like to you know I, it wasn't easy peasy I'm, I'm making this sound nice but um but yeah I it was it was you know my advice to someone would be to just you know figure out how much of a battle you want to have with it understand that like it's kind of the wild west out there for artists especially if you don't have the money to do legal stuff and like if you are a copier like I would just encourage you reach out to the person likely the solution isn't just like stop making the art but for me, the solution would have been fine. Keep making the disco balls. Just if you could just tag me, like that would have been fine. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's a it's a tough game, and I totally, yeah, I don't know. I was it was long winded, but <laughs> I've thought no, that I I am fascinated hearing that whole story, especially I think this conclusion of like leaning into it and then teaching how to make them. Like I've seen that tutorial, but I think to to hear it in that storyline. I've never heard that as an answer from somebody who's been copied before. And, um, I, I kind of love that. Like, I know what it's like to on a small scale, be copied and just have it really kind of haunt you. And then I know for me, it will, uh, interfere with my relationship to the thing I was making. Like then you kind of just don't even want to be associated with it anymore, which I, if you want to comment on that, I imagine was part of it. Oh. <laughs> Oh yeah, it did. It messed with them for a little bit. And then also what started happening was, um, because there's a couple artists who like, that's kind of their thing now. And I started getting tagged and like, you're copying, you're copying this person. And like, and I stopped wanting to make them, but I love them. I love them so much. And again, it comes back to like, does this interfere with my personal joy? Like, does this, you know, protecting that. And, and, and I've, I have started making them again, but I will say like the last piece of the equation for me, and if somebody's struggling with copying, if they're like with me up until this point, but they're like, I just can't get over it. Like, I don't want to go into like scary therapist mode, but like the last piece of it for me was like looking back in my childhood and figuring out like, it was there a situation where like someone, a grown up, a parent perhaps um, did something to you and there was no accountability and like working through that, like, again, I don't want to get too deep, but that was incredibly important for me. I had a parent who broke promises and didn't, there was no accountability. And I realized that I had to do that work. And that was like, 
I think that was the final thing. Cause I really do. I'm now in a really good place with it. And like, I, I'm not white knuckling my way through not being frustrated. I feel good about it. And I'm excited when other people share them. And I'm, I'm even happy for other people who are doing them because you know what rising tides. And I think the only way I could get there again, not white knuckling and not just like, I need to be the bigger person, but was through like that deep inner work. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I'm, First of all, you're always welcome to go into therapist mode and go deep, at least on this show, because I like all that stuff. Um, But I'm glad you brought that up because there is something so triggering about having your work copied and stolen. And probably the root of that is different for everyone. But I'm thinking about the times that it's happened to me and there's just like something that doesn't feel good because it's a violation. So if you have any version of any kind of violation in your history, whether that is like an account, oh my God, can't talk and accountability thing or something else, um, which probably most people do in some way, shape or form. It's like the ultimate thing for that. Um, and so I'm thinking about these students who have come to me and like, they have like 500 followers. I'm like, you're, you're good for a while. I wouldn't really worry about this, but they are so afraid of it. Um, that's just probably something to look at. Yeah. 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 Doing the inner work, but you know, I, it, it's tough. And I think, you know, I think I hope that eventually the solution, because again, it's the wild west for a lot of artists, you know, unless you have the money to pursue legal actions. And even then like only big companies can kind of get away with it. Like you are kind of, we're all sort of looking out for each other. And I, you know, I don't know what it looks like. I, I personally, I think it's some kind of like universal basic income, but I, I won't go on that, but you know, until like there's more, I don't know, until there's less scarcity in the art world, we, re- we re- really need to have each other's back and like look out for each other. And I don't know, I don't know what the solution is, but yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that whole story. That's just super insightful. And I think there's a lot in there for any of us, because you know, I, and I won't go too deep into this because I've talked about it on the show, like being on the copier side, um, like there's work to be done there as well. And it's not to like there's lines, there's, you know, some people are stealing, some people are just overly influenced and they're kind of in the beginner stage and maybe need, need a little bit of guidance. Um, but I empathize for, for that too, in its own way. And yeah, there's, it's a nuanced, challenging subject. <laughs> yeah. And I will say one day, I, I really plan on doing kind of an in-depth conversation about it. Cause I, again, part of like my like healing from all of it has been like writing about it. And I definitely, I don't know if it'll be a YouTube video or a series or a podcast or what, but there is like, I, I haven't said all I've had to say on it. And I really, I don't know. I really think like a community-based solution is the solution eventually. And mm. anyways, I, I have more thoughts. I'll just, I'll put a pin in that. <laughs> okay. Maybe we're going to have to have you back on for part two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay. So I don't want to eat up too much of your time, but I would love to kind of wrap this up by just asking like some of your best advice. So um, I actually have two kind of categories here. So the first one is what is your advice for somebody who is just wanting to develop their work, find their own style, um, and just wanting to make the best work that like they can make. Ooh, yes. Okay. So one thing I think that's super important that, um, I'm sure people have said, but I just want to put more emphasis on this is, um, really paying close attention to what you like and what lights you up. And I think I've heard them be called like 
glimmers or just things that generally excite you. Um, I think especially as like feminine presenting people, we go through life and certainly adolescence, I think, really with a focus on others, like with a, you know, our likes, preferences and needs become secondary to looking a certain way and acting a certain way and catering to others and being nurturing. And I think it's a real disservice because it a lot of times dulls down our true aesthetic and like and interest and what feels good. And it kind of disconnects us from our body sometimes. And as an artist, what I've realized is that something that I tap into and that is like my touchstone for so much stuff is like, do I like it? Does it feel good? And again, I know that sounds really superficial, but I think we sometimes confuse, will this make a good piece of art or will other people like it or will it sell with, do I really like this? And do I enjoy this? And does this feel good to me? And again, I know it sounds like my advice is just do what you like, but I, I encourage people specifically to do the work of like deconstructing. Do I like this? Was I programmed to like this? Does my mom like this? Does, do I think this will sell? Does this make me this kind of a girl? Or, you know, I, there's a lot of good work there. And if you can tap into that, you will be solid because that, that is at the core. I think what art is, it's tapping into that and then going after a message and it's some mixture of those two things that have like, at least for me, guided me through my career. Yeah, that's excellent advice. You really like hit the nail on the head. I love the check-in of, do I like this? Like even just as a practice, because I think especially in the context of everything we've been talking about with social media as well, like I can get really muddied. Um, so yeah, that's great advice. My, uh, second category for advice is what advice would you give somebody who is wanting to, um, sell more work, like grow their business and grow their career, like on that side of things? Yeah. Oh man. Um, that's always so tough because I feel like where the first answer, you know, has a, a big landing pad. It's like what success looks like to you really varies. And I, that's a hard thing, I think, to, to put a pin in. But, you know, as far as like, I think what's really helped me, it's, it's having, figuring out this balance between discipline, hard work, showing up, fulfilling promises. And then on the other hand, um, compassion and listening to what you need and things like that. And, and that's because to make a practice, I think, be something that's profitable means that you kind of have to put more pressure on it than I think in an ideal world you would have to and that does require discipline and push and especially depending on how many marginalizations you sit at unfortunately that's more effort and push um you know but as far as like what the advice is it would I think it's just oh man it's not just anything because it's actually a really nuanced answer I don't know I do you have any other prompts hold on sorry I feel like I'm ranting no, I, well, I really like all the like acknowledging of different levels of marginalization. Cause that is like absolutely part of the answer. Um, but maybe like just narrowing it down to, cause I know success looks different for all of us. Um, but I'm thinking about like a lot of artists that I talk to who really just want to sell more and make their business more sustainable and they, they need to profit. Um, what advice would you have for that person? Okay, gotcha. Yes. And I think the reason I always struggle with this question, because I always struggle with it, is because I always feel like giving business advice without acknowledging those marginalizations, it feels yeah. really 
Yuck. Okay. But anyways, but yes. So, okay. Some blank advice. So assuming that all your needs are met and that we've acknowledged that the stakes are different for everyone, unfortunately, um, you know, I think there's, I think you have to really tend to relationships. I think it's really important to, um, you know, instead of thinking that you're selling to like this big wide ocean and you're casting a huge net that you think of your sales more as like a garden and you're tending and, and forming your relationships. And something people often struggle with is like, what does my call to action look like? And just if someone comments on something that they like something, do I send them like an invoice? I mean, maybe never that dramatic, but you know, I think if you look at your art kind of more of a slow game and it certainly was for me, I will say that I was doing this part-time for about three years and then full-time for another three or four years. And it didn't become fully sustainable as like a W2 kind of business um, until I was almost five years in. So it takes a long, long time. Again, getting back to that privilege conversation, but um, you know, but I think if you can really lean into the relationship, it's not only going to pay off in the long run if you have the time and energy, um, but it also is a business strategy that I think would drive you the least insane. Because yeah, you can do marketing and you can do funnels and you know all that stuff, but if that's not where your mind is because you're an art-minded person, just focus on relationships. I think that's a great answer. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has just been such a lovely look into the behind it, behind the scenes of you. Um, cause I think a lot of us, even though you are so personable on social media. So I think a lot of people probably feel like they know you, this has been so lovely just to get that like even deeper look. And I just, I really appreciate where you're coming from. And I think you're such a positive voice in the community. So yeah, I just want to thank you for all of that. And to conclude, what do you have coming up and where can people hang out with you? Yeah, well, I'm always on Instagram and TikTok and I am always answering questions. So if you have a question from this interview, please like go, go find a comment section or a DM and just like holler at me. Like I'm, I'm here for you, but um, what am I doing? I'm putzing around in my studio. I have a show in California at the Brea Gallery. Um, I have the show with Devin. It's a group <laughs> show with all kinds of amazing artists. And if you are anywhere in the vicinity, hitchhike out there, whatever you can do, because it's a fantastic group show, like seriously, the best one I've ever been in. Um, and uh, I also, am, I uh, just updated Not Sorry Art School. So if you're interested in learning the technique behind art, please look into Not Sorry Art School. It's basically everything I learned in my painting classes in college all smushed into a video format that looks way better than anything I put out on the internet. Um, and yeah, I'm probably missing all kinds of stuff, but I, you know, I appreciate talking to people on all my platforms. So if you want to talk to me, we can talk there. <laughs> Amazing. We will link to all of that. Uh, thank you so much again. We will obviously have to have you back on sometime. <laughs> I would love that. And thank you for having me on. And those are amazing questions. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs>I sincerely hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I know I walked away feeling really inspired and just grateful to have connected with Sari. So um, definitely check out all of her work. Everything will be linked in the show notes. And that is all I have in store for you today. I will see you next week with another episode. And until then, I'm sending you lots of love and tons of magic.